Well, good morning, everybody. Hadn't it been a good day already in the, pre- in the house of the Lord? Cool stuff. Yes, he did make the lame walk. So we're going to sing it twice. That, that is awesome. Listen, we, uh, we appreciate y'all being here. We're continuing this teaching series that Ed started several weeks ago on the gospel according to Mark. And we're pretty pumped about it. It's really some, some cool stuff that we're learning, and we're going to continue that. In fact, for the next several weeks, leading all the way up to Easter Sunday, this is where our Sunday morning messages are going to be centered around the stories and the, and the narrative in the gospel according to Mark. And if you're new to Bible study, what, what the New Testament, the second half or second portion of Scripture of the, of the Holy Bible, starts with four different, what we call them, gospels. And they're they are accounts written by four different men who, uh, and it's their account of what Jesus' Jesus's life was like and the different things that went on. And this particular one is the gospel according to Mark. It was written by a guy, his, actual, his name was actually John Mark, uh, but, uh, but he was a guy and he wasn't actually a follower, a, a disciple of Christ. He didn't follow Christ around like the other three guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the four Gospels. So Matthew and John, they walked around with Jesus. But Mark and Luke, they were, they were scribes. They were telling the story. They were kind of the writers, that, that, and they wrote down the story as it was told to them. And in fact, it's pretty interesting because the, the Gospel according to Mark was, uh, was told to him by... The, uh, the disciple Peter. You know, one of the most famous followers of Christ from the New Testament was Peter. And Peter told Mark the story, and Mark wrote it down, and that's what we're studying. We're real pumped about it because Mark has this cool way of approaching the stories about Jesus. He's like super get to the point. I mean, he doesn't drag on. He doesn't tell long stories. I wonder what that, that's like. Um, that, so those of you who know me, that anyway. So Mark is like, just get to the point, and he's real action oriented. And he's his favorite word in the whole. If you if you read the book of Mark, he likes to use the word immediately. I mean, almost like every time he changes from one story to the next, he says immediately. Jesus went and made a sandwich. I mean, I, it, it, everything that Jesus did, he did immediately. Or everything he said, he said immediately. He told them. It's like Mark is in a hurry. It's like he's writing like he's running out of time. It's like he wants to get this story out. And it's, the point is, is that Mark is all about the mission. He, he, wants, he wants to get the job done. He knows Jesus was on mission and that he spent all his time getting his followers ready for their mission. And so, a segue for the win, I want to tell you about a mission that we as a church are taking part in. This summer, we're going to send people on a mission trip. And so we want to let you know, that's a pretty smooth segue, patting myself on the back. You guys don't seem impressed. Oh, well. This summer, we're taking a group of people to a, a, a ministry based out, of, out, out in Los Angeles called the Dream Center. And so there's, there's an amazing... Two summers ago... We took a, a group of people out there, and it was game-changing, life-changing experiences 
for the ones that went. And we want to let you guys know that it's available this year. So next Sunday, one week from today, at the close of our second service, there's going to be an interest meeting. You can find out if you want to be on mission with that particular task. It's going to be awesome. Now, back to the book of Mark. We are, the goal was when we started that we were going to kind of cover a lot of the book of Mark all the way leading up to Easter. So we took a one week off when Ed did a real special uh, message about uh, God being with us in the storm. You guys remember that? Wasn't that awesome? Yes, indeed. And, uh, and so we're a little bit behind. So we're going to condense a lot of the book of Mark. So basically, I want to real quick, before I get into today's story, is I want to give you a flyover kind of overview of the, of the book of Mark chapters 4 through 10. All right? So 4 through 10. We're going to kind of just, we're, we're skipping over a lot of stuff in those chapters. But I'm encouraging you to check it out because there are a lot of cool stuff, things that happen in the book of Mark, chapters 4 through 10. All right? And here's how we're going to say it. Here's what, here's what happens during those chapters. Parables, miracles, and teachables. The last one, I just needed it to rhyme. So I don't even think that's a, a good word for this. It's not proper grammar. But humor me because I thought it was pretty clever. Almost as clever as my segue earlier that you guys mocked. Parables, miracles, and teachables. So you'll see if you were to take a quick glance through the book of Mark, you would see in chapter 4, almost the entire chapter, all Jesus is doing is teaching the people in parables, in stories that say life with God, the kingdom of God, following God, and life of faith are like such and such. He tells this great parable about how how when we, when every time we hear something from Scripture, it's almost as if our hearts are soil and the Word of God is like seed that is being scattered all in the soil of our hearts. And we learn great lessons in that parable about what it means to have our hearts ready to hear the Word of God. And then a lot of other interesting parables. But all throughout the book of Mark, scattered throughout are amazing miracles. Jesus uh, healed a lame man in the book of Mark. In 4 through 10, you'll see he, he, he helped a blind man see. He healed the blind man so he could see. He raised the little girl from the dead. There was one time Jesus was walking through a crowd, and there was a woman who needed healing so bad, she said, if I could just touch the edge of his robe, I will be healed. She did, and she was healed. Amazing miracles happened, and also... In these chapters, you'll see that Jesus drops some major truth on all the people that were listening to him. He taught some of the most amazing stuff in these chapters. He taught things that brought hope to people who thought they didn't qualify for being in on the faith thing. He dropped some hard truth on the ones who thought they were totally in. And that's a group of people we call the Pharisees. Those are the religious leaders of the day. And the Pharisees, Jesus got all up on them and said, you think you've got it figured out, but you don't. Your heart's not right. And so he's teaching. He's teaching in parables. He's doing miracles. And he's dropping some major truth. So 
That's our flyover of, you just covered four chapters, six chapters in the book of Mark. I can't even count. Isn't that cool? Six chapters. Thank you. No, we're not done. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. We're going to suggest that we take some time and really think, what is the whole point of the book of Mark, of the gospel according to Mark? And especially in these four through ten chapters that we just talked about. You know what was really going on? Jesus was training his disciples. He was training and preparing his followers for the big task that was ahead of them. All the important stuff that was yet to come. And you got to, it's really cool because he's the best trainer, the best coach, the best instructor, the best mentor ever. But it goes so far beyond what we might even consider what it means to be a coach or what it means to be a mentor. You see, Jesus wasn't just doing the Mr. Miyagi thing for all his disciples. Karate Kid, anybody? No? Thank you? Yes. When done right is no defense. But here's the thing. Jesus goes farther than just being a good coach. He trains his disciples by revealing himself to them. He doesn't give a... It's it's not a list of tasks. It's not a, 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 a bunch of skills. And it's not a workout montage in the sports movies. It's not just do this and you'll be ready. Learn this and you'll be ready. What Jesus is saying, if you will accept me, if you will wrap your heart as much as possible around who I am, then you'll be prepared, then you'll be trained, and then we can do what it is that we're destined to do. Jesus is revealing himself, and that's probably the biggest difference between the way Jesus taught his followers compared to the way he taught the religious leaders because he seemed so angry at those religious leaders all the time. And the reason was is because their hearts weren't interested in knowing who he was. They had trained themselves to believe that faith was about what you know and what you do and what you don't do. And that that was everything for them. And Jesus came in and said, I'm going to tell you the real deal is me. Let me reveal myself to you. Receive me and all that I am. And then all the stuff I do and all the stuff I teach will start making sense. This is actually the pattern of how God does things all throughout the Bible. Even in the awesome Old Testament stories that pave the way for what we live in, which is what we like to call a New Testament faith. He rev- God reveals himself to us. And he's always done it, and he does it in great ways in some of the stories of the Old Testament. One of the most famous ones is when Moses, God reveals himself to Moses before he goes and tells Yul Brynner, let my people go. And then, you know, Charlton Heston. I'm using a lot of old movie references. Thank you for hanging with me. But before Charlton Heston holds his stick out and the, you know, in the, water's part, God finds him and reveals himself to Moses through a burning bush. And Moses has this great 
amazing experience. And he asks a legitimate, simple question. He says, okay, God, if you've got all this stuff you want me to do, I just, can you help me with one thing? Uh, when I go tell these people, when I go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And when I go tell the, the Israelites that they need to follow me, I'm going to tell them you told me to tell them that. Who can I say sent this? Who can I say, as per this burning bush, I need you to follow me? He says, who can I tell them that you are? And, and, and God, in the most frustrating answer that he's ever given a human being, he said, tell them I am. Thank you so much. That clears up everything. God was saying, I am... And there's a great study that you could do of the, of the original language. You know what he's, he's saying? I am. I just am. I'm the man. I'm the one. And I am going to be whatever you need. I am going to, I am fill in the blank. And he spent the entire Old Testament saying, I am water in a dry land for you. I am strength when your strength is failing for you. I am forgiveness and atonement when you couldn't pay for your own sins. And Jesus is saying to his disciples all through the book of Mark, especially in 4 through 10, I am training you, and I'm not training you with a list of tasks, exercises, and skills. I am training you by showing you I am, who I am. Good news. Really cool stuff. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at two stories that happened in the book of Mark chapter 6. And in Mark chapter 6, some amazing stuff goes down and we start to see really cool glimpses into who Jesus is. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 6. And so on the screen, you're going to know, and it's also in your uh, uh, sermon notes in the info guide. You can follow along, fill in the blanks if you like. But the verses are, are, are written there, if you can find it, in Mark chapter 6. So we're going to start in verse 41. Before we do that, don't, don't go there yet. I'm just going to give you a heads up. I'm telling we're the story that we're talking about is the fact that one time Jesus fed over 5,000 people with what amounts to a young boy's sack lunch. Huge miracle. I mean, just mind-blowing miracle, all right? So we'll get into some of the... I'm a trained speaker. Don't try this at home. We're going to get into some of the specifics in just a minute. But first, I want to give you a quick... We're going to look at a handful of verses to kind of give you an idea of where we're going. Starting in verse 41. It's kind of the middle of this feeding 5,000 plus story. Verse 41 says, Jesus took the five loaves and two fish. He had five loaves of bread and two fish. And he looked toward heaven and he blessed them. And then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. And he also divided the fish for everyone to share. So he just took five loaves of bread and just started breaking it out off and giving it to the disciples. There were 12 of them. And they were distributing to these clusters of people that amounted to over well over 5,000 people. And they're just giving, they give the bread out and then they come back to Jesus and he said, here's some more. And then he goes and, and they're like, 
And they're probably going back and forth saying, I thought we only had five. Why is there more? Okay, well, he's took it. he just keeps giving them food. Keeps giving them food. And here's what uh, verse 42 says. They all, that means all 5,000 people plus, it was a lot more than 5,000, they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. That is a lot of food. So the title of our message today, you ready for the title? I don't think you are. I'm gonna, okay, thank you. I appreciate it. The title, we reveal now, Extra Bread and Hard Hearts. Kind of weird. What does it mean? It'll take a minute. Let's keep reading. What happens is, we, we just read about the extra bread. We're about to read about the hard hearts. Because right after the whole miracle of feeding all this huge crowd of people, that night, the disciples were in a boat going across the Sea of Galilee at Jesus' instructions to another town. And during that time, they hit a really bad storm. Jesus is not with them. He's instead praying on the top of a hill. And they get into a storm and they think they're going to die. And then... Well, let's read what happens. Late that night, this is verse 47. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on the land. And he saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the winds and waves. About 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them. That sounds very weird, but we'll talk about that in a minute. But, in verse 49, when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. Verse 50, they were all terrified when they saw him, but Jesus spoke to them at once and said, Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. So we're going to talk about extra bread and hard hearts. So let's get right to it. We'll rewind back to the beginning of this feed, this hungry crowd of thousands of people. What had happened was Jesus had just sent his disciples out on a mission trip. He had sent them out two by two into into towns in the region that they were in. And he'd given them instructions about, hey, I'm not going to go with you, but I want you to go in my name and my authority. I want you to bless people. I want you to teach people. I want you to pray for people. I want you to heal sick people, cast out demons. So they went on a mission trip. We don't know how long it lasted, a week, a few days, several weeks, whatever. But they go out on this mission, and they come back one day, and they are pumped. They're excited because so many amazing things happen, and they're telling Jesus all about it. And Jesus is like, hey, man, I'm so proud of you guys. You did it. And then he says, look, you guys are really tired, so let's get in the boat, and we're going to kind of skip down the shoreline, and we're going to go to a town that's not that crowded, kind of a little getaway. You need some rest, because it's so crowded around here, we haven't even had time to stop and get a decent meal. So they get in the boat, and they kind of slide down the coastline. They're going to go to another town. But what happens is all the people in those villages saw them get in the boat, and they see them, and they're like, Oh, I bet they're going to that town. So mobs of people start following them because they're so excited about Jesus and his followers because so many amazing things are happening through their prayers and their teachings and their ministry. So the people are like, we want some of that or we want some more of that. 
So they follow him, and when they so so when Jesus lands the boat and the disciples land the boat for what's supposed to be a little getaway for a day or so, catch their breath, breathe a little bit. Here's all these thousands of people, and you and and I would be like, oh, really? I would be like, this is supposed to be a vacation. This is supposed to be a getaway, and these people keep following us. But it's interesting what happens. When Jesus sees the people. In verse 34 of Mark chapter 6, it says, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Jesus was not frustrated. Jesus was not disappointed that their getaway was ruined. Now they had to do some more teaching. He saw the people and he had compassion on them. If you look at the word, like the original language, deep meaning of that word. It wasn't just, oh, he felt sorry for them. Oh, bless. Bless their hearts. It wasn't that. It was a deep gut level pain that he felt on their behalf. And the reason he felt that was because, as the the Scripture says, they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were drifting in life without guidance, without help, It's as if, you know what this shows us? This shows us what moves God's heart. You know what moves God and has to to have compassion on us? When He sees us out there on our own. When He sees us out there all by ourselves, just trying to make it work. That moves God. That moves Him. And I want to tell you, That's one of the biggest deals about the life of faith is transitioning from living my life like I have to figure it all out on my own and transitioning into the fact that I have a heavenly father who loves me. I am not out here by myself trying to just make my way. I am a beloved son of the heavenly father. You are a beloved son daughter of the heavenly father and when you get out there in world in life in this world and you feel like you can't keep your head above water and you're just barely getting by this moves the heart of god and he does not want you to live your life that way he wants you to take the the audacious step of believing that you matter so much to him that he does not leave you out there by yourself that He comes to you and that He will. Here's what Jesus did. If you look at the verse, it says He was moved with compassion because they were out there on their own. And so what did He do? Did He wave a magic wand and fix all their problems? Did He, did he somehow try to uh, with, make them withdraw from all the hard realities of their life? No. You know what He did? He taught them many things. That's what God wants to do when He sees us out there on our own, struggling by ourselves, trying to earn our keep on all by all on our own lonesome. He says, No, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna show them stuff. I'm going to teach them. Jesus said, Here's what they need. They need Music people, I may have just killed the band. I don't know. I, kicked, I tripped over something. 
we probably have to cancel church now. I don't know what just... Anyway, he, see, <laughs> see, that was... I, I, I probably deserved that. Thank you. So, um, the Jesus says here, I'm, I feel compassion on them for what they need. They need me to teach them. They need me to show them. Jesus is all about teaching us. And you know, Jesus' teaching is not like sitting in a classroom, taking a test, pass or fail, and either move to the next or retake the class. You know, when Jesus is teaching, He is, as we said before, He is showing you and He's showing me Himself. And He's saying, here's the payoff. It's not a grade at the end of the class. It's not a pass-fail test. The payoff is embrace my teachings and you get me. You get who I am. You get, he said, if you see me, you have seen the heavenly father. And so when, when he says, I want to teach him something, he says, what I really want to do is I want to reveal myself to them. What a beautiful thing. Jesus said one time, he said that when he, uh, th- that those who follow him, are going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to live inside my followers. And my Holy Spirit is going to teach you all the things. He's going to teach you everything. He is, there, is not, there will be nothing that you need to know that will not be available to you by the teaching and the leading and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's the promise. He is going to teach us Many things. He's going to teach us all the things. And it's going to take forever. It's going to take our whole lives. Especially if you're like me and as hard-headed as a Mississippi yard dog. I'm telling you. It's, it's going to take forever. And do you know why? Because I don't get stuff on the first time through. And, and God has to repeat himself many times for me to learn. But that's the beauty of this invitation. This is the beauty of the compassion that's in the heart of Jesus. That he doesn't say, I'm going to try to fix, I'm going to try to wave my magic wand so not all the stuff, all the difficult stuff of their life goes away. No, I'm going to teach them, I'm going to guide them, and I'm going to be with them every single day. I'm going to teach them all the things. So that's the beautiful thing. I keep kicking this thing. I, am, I feel horrible about that. So... He teaches them all the things. He starts the teaching process, and it's powerful, and the people love it. But it's starting to get late in the day. And so the disciples come to Jesus, and they say, Lord, it's late. It's late, and these people haven't eaten. So we need to send them on home, send them out of here so they can eat. All right? So here's what Jesus responds in verse 37. Disciples say it's late. These folks need to eat. They're about to get hangry, and they're not themselves when they're hungry. And so we need to get them out of our hair before it gets ugly. And Jesus replied in verse 37, you feed them. Why don't you feed them? And they replied to Jesus, with what? We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have, Jesus asked. Go and find out. So this is, to me, is a very confusing little exchange between Jesus and his disciples. 
They're making a point, a very valid point, that these 5,000 men and their families, because by the way, that's how they counted back then. When they did an official head count, it's not right, but it's the way they were back then. They, uh, they would say there were 5,000 men. And there could have been 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 or more women and children. But it's like they didn't even throw that in the, 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 the tally. It's weird. But this is the way the culture was. So there were all these people didn't have food. Let's, let's send them out before it's our responsibility to feed them. And Jesus said, no, go for it. Feed them. And they said, excuse me? Well, there's no way. That can't be done. And Jesus' response to them saying, we, we don't have the ability to do that. He said, okay, you don't have the av- ability But he asks them about availability. Because he says, when he acknowledges, okay, sure, we don't have that kind of money to feed all these people. What do we have? He says, how much bread do you have? How much bread do you have? Go find out. Now, here's the thing. In my life, I'm the kind of guy that makes assessments on stuff and I look at a situation and I see and I think about what's possible and impossible what can be done what can't be done and when I think something can't be done my philosophy is shut it down let's just bail let's punt you know this is not we can't do this and uh, and sometimes you get in a situation in your life and in a relationship or in, a, in a, a decision you have to make that you assess and you go, there is no way this is going to end well, so I'm going to run from this situation. Perhaps I'm going to fudge a little bit on this situation. Maybe I'll cover myself. Maybe I'll throw somebody else under the bus. Maybe I'll tell a little white lie, but I do not. This scares me, and I don't want to be the one paying the price for what's going to go down in this situation. And so I want to withdraw. And I want to send everybody home. And Jesus is saying, time out. What do you have? What's available right now? What do you have available? So he tells them, go find out. He tells them to do an inventory on what they have. And if I was there, I would have walked away going... I don't know how much we got, but I know it ain't enough. So they go and they find, and and some of the details of this particular story are told in more uh, detail than some of the other gospel accounts. So they find this little boy who has a sack lunch, and he's got these five loaves, which sometimes, you know, you see in the pictures that they're those long um, hoagie-like rolls, but more than likely these were like, smaller circle biscuity kind of looking things five of them and then he had two fish and i'm thinking how bad how about how bad does it smell in his area of the uh the seating arrangements you know he's carrying around two fish for hours more than likely this was dried fish somewhat like fish jerky or something like that so this is what the kid has and he's willing to give it to the disciples they come back and they say here's this is all we got and jesus says some of y'all ain't never had to do, make something out of nothing, and it shows. So I'm going to show you guys what's, what the deal is. And he guys gets them to sit, all these thousands of people. 
could be 10,000, not just 5,000. By the way, isn't it interesting that the person who God used to saw, to, to you, the, 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 the lunch, the person who had the available stuff was not even important enough to be included in the official head count. How about that? You know what that tells me? That tells me that it doesn't matter how insignificant that you feel or how unimportant that you've ever been told that you are. You matter. You're a big deal. And you count to God. We matter to God. And what we have available could end up being the thing that turns everything around. Jesus sets them in the, in the, in the little group and he breaks the bread. And, and that miracle happens. And food keeps going out. Food keeps going out. People, they said they all ate their fill. Now, if you do a study of the words that are used there, you know what that means? It's not just, oh, thanks for the snack. This will hold me over till I get home. Thanks. You know what this was? This was the word they used like when they wanted to fatten up an, a livestock. That's how everybody felt after this meal. They were full as a tick. I'm telling you, they were, they couldn't eat another bite. That's a miracle, man. And the avail- here's, the, here's the point. God has a long history of working with people who have very limited resources. And he can take resources that we would assess as, no, this is not enough. And he says, says you, I'll take what you have. The, the point is, the punchline is, bring what you have available. And when what is available to you is going to end up... It, it might have felt limited to you, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to mean overflow for the people around you. God can take resources that aren't enough and move them from limited to overflow. That's how God works. I want to read you something that is a, uh, a cool... It's like a devotion that I get in my inbox uh, every morning from the National Association of Christian Recovery. And there's a devotion that was based on this story about Jesus feeding the 5,000, 5,000 plus, as we know. And and it's, it's called Limited Resources. It says, our personal problems sometimes seem enormous and our resources seem incredibly limited. We're going to need resources that are far more extensive than what we have right now. But God has this long history of working with people who don't have enough. He prefers to bring strength out of weakness. We see how few loaves and fishes we have, and we're convinced that our needs will not be met, and we won't be nourished the way we need it. And we know for sure that nothing will be left over. But hopelessly limited resources turn into overflow abundance when we simply bring them to God. And the miracle is there's enough for us and there's enough to share. So we, we bring to God what we have and we say, Lord, this is all I have left. 
after all the stuff I've been through, all, after all the mistakes I've made, and all, after all the hits I've taken in my life. This is all that's left. I cannot imagine that this will be of any value to you. But I bring it to you and I say, Lord, these are what I offer. And if you will take this life, I will follow you. And when we do that, we find out that the needs that we have will be met and there will be enough to share. And our story will help others. And, and, what we, and we'll look back and go, how did this even happen? How in the world did the little that I have make any difference in this world? But that's how God rolls, and He wants us to roll that way with Him. Isn't that cool? Isn't that great news? The limited resources you have are all that God wants from you. And when we bring them to Him, it changes everything. So, after this story happens, and everybody's all full, Jesus says, immediately, he says to his disciples, listen, I want you to get in this boat, go cross the Sea of Galilee to a place called Bethsaida, and I am going to go up on the hill and pray, and I'll catch up with you guys. So they do that, obeying Jesus, and in the middle of the night, a storm hits, and they start freaking out because it really feels like they're going to die. Jesus is up on the hill, praying, and from the hillside prayer perch that he was at, he could actually see down into the Sea of Galilee. And it says that he saw them straining with the oars against the wind, and he knew they were struggling. And so he goes down to them, and he goes to them, walking on the water. Walking on the water. He comes to them. And the beauty of this moment is to, and, and I think it's something the Lord would want us to, He would want to say to us today, is that He sees us. He sees us, and He sees us struggling. He sees us fighting against the, the wind, and He sees us not knowing if we're going to be able to hang on. He sees you. He sees you. And He promised, and another promise He made at a different time, He said, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. I will come to you. And he came to those disciples and they freaked because they thought he was a ghost. It was like a jump scare in one of those crazy, scary movies. It wasn't just a subtle creepiness. It was like, oh my gosh, it's a ghost. And they just panic. And Jesus comes to them and he says, don't be afraid. Have courage. I am here. If you look at the breakdown of the Greek language and the sentence structure, you know what he actually said? He said, it is I. And if you translate that Greek word from New Testament into the Hebrew Old Testament, you know what the phrase is? He said, I am. I am. And I am here. I am here for you. You know, this story happened to the disciples and several of the disciples told that story. Matthew told it in his gospel and he tells a, an extra little story. He says that in that moment, see here in Mark we read Jesus comes and gets in the boat, tells him to chill, everything's fine. But in the Matthew story, I don't know if you remember this, but before Jesus gets in the boat, Peter 
walks on water too. You guys remember that story? Peter says, Lord, if it's me, tell me to come. And he says, come. And Peter says, I'll, I'll do it, you know. And he gets out there and he walks on the water, but then he freaks out, gets scared and sinks. Jesus saves him. They get back in the boat together and then the, the storm is calmed and they make it to the other side. Why wouldn't Peter tell Mark to put that part in the story? A lot of Bible geeks, they say, well, you know, probably he was a little ashamed. He didn't want to tell the, I dropped into the water thing. I got to tell you, if I had ever walked on water in my life, I'm telling the story even if it didn't end well. I'm telling it. I'm saying, you know what I did once? Boop. I was, I was out there, baby, and loving every minute of it. And then the real truth is, in my opinion, and a lot of other people believe this too, is that Peter just said, look, the most important part of the story is not that I got out of the boat. The most important part of the story is that Jesus got in to our boat. The most important part of the story is not that I did my little thing. The most important part is that Jesus did his thing. And Jesus came to us and he saved us. Now, I don't know what your life is like. I don't know all the details of the, of the winds and the storms that are beaten down on the boat of your life. But I'm telling you this, Jesus sees you and he will come to you. And he will step into your boat and he will calm winds and storms that are bothering you that nobody even knows about. Or nobody would even understand why it is bothering you. Jesus will not leave you hanging in the water. Now, the, here's the last thing I want to tell you, and we're going to wrap up and, and, and get out of here. The last verse of this story, it said, um, it said that they were amazed, which sounds like a good thing. I would be amazed if I walked, watched Jesus walk on water and then a raging storm stopped as soon as he stepped into my boat. That is an amazing thing, but they were amazed to the point where they really didn't believe. They were stunned, and, and um, they can't believe it happened. They can't believe that Jesus pulled this off. And, and that, in verse 52 of this passage says that that's not a good thing that they were amazed. They were, they were amazed because they didn't understand. And I want to show you on this. Verse 52, they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. They had hard hearts. They didn't understand about the loaves. They were amazed because they, because they didn't get the importance of what had happened the day before when Jesus took five biscuits and fed way over 5,000 people with them. They didn't get it. And they didn't get it because their hearts were hard. Now, that seems kind of a harsh assessment or indictment on the disciples. Their hearts were hard because a hard-hearted person to me is just like, is like embittered. I don't want to hear what Jesus has to say. I don't believe in, I don't like all this stuff. You know, a hard heart, that's kind of the image we get. The words they use for hard heart in this verse, the same words that Jesus used when he was dissing the Pharisees over and over again. You got hard hearts. Ooh, that's not good. Why would he say that? Because the point is, the sin that caused the Pharisees to have hard hearts is crouching at the door for all of us. It's because they chose not to believe the gospel. They chose not to believe the good news that Jesus had been sent 
to come into our storm and to calm our storm, to come into our boat, to save us when we could not save ourselves. They, the Pharisees, preferred to save themselves through the doing of the law, through the being perfect and through looking good on the outside. And the point is, is that our disciples in this story were in danger of the same sin as the Pharisees were doing because they were like, no way Jesus can save me from this. And that leads to a hard heart. And you might feel like, listen, sometimes life beats you down and your heart gets hard. Sometimes mistakes are made and your heart gets hard. That's how it works. It's not just about being some religious hypocrite that suddenly you have, we have hard hearts. We have to decide. That's what's at stake here in the book of Mark. That's why we're doing this leading up to Easter. We want to let the Lord reveal Himself to us so that we can say yes, not maybe, not halfway. We can say yes. I am desperate. I can't save myself. I need you to come to me, Father. I need you to come to me, Jesus. And that's going to keep our hearts soft. And if they had had softer hearts, they would have remembered that just the day before, Jesus did the impossible. How many times has that happened to us that we, we go through our lives and God comes through for us and something amazing happens and we're grateful. But the next thing, the next time we find ourselves in a storm, we're panicked and we're freaked out in our heart is getting just a little bit harder because we don't believe He'll do it again. Sometimes we don't believe He'll do it again because we don't think we deserve it again. Sometimes we don't think He'll do it again because we're just doubting and we lack faith. But our hearts are hardening the whole time. And the day before, the day before, God did a miracle. It's all about the loaves, y'all. It is all about the loaves. And in their 24 hours before, less than 24 hours, they had seen an amazing miracle. And had they understood that miracle, they would not have been as stunned and shocked that Jesus saved them in the storm. So here's my question. What is the storm that's raging in your life, that on some level of your heart, you're like, I don't think I'm going to get out of this alive. I don't think he can, I don't think he's going to help me this time. Today, the Lord is saying to all of us, I will not leave you hanging out there on the water. I'm going to come. I've done it before, and I'm going to do it again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reminder, the reminder that these loaves can give us. The fact that in our brokenness and in our limitedness, you can overcome even the, the worst limitations of our lives and you can bring overflow. And God, for reminding us that that means if you can do that, You can rescue us from any storm we ever find ourselves in. Father, we need you. 
we ask for your help. Soften our hardened hearts to believe that we are beloved sons and we're your beloved daughters. And it is your favorite thing to come to us in the middle of our storm. Help us believe, Lord. Change us and keep revealing yourself to us. In Jesus' name, amen.